All right, I tell you what, it's been, uh, it's great to be here with you all this evening. And um, I got to apologize in advance for my throat. I'm just getting over a, uh, a cold. And so my throat is, is a little raspy and I may cough a little bit. But um, anyways, bear with me. I just want to thank uh, Pastor Conrad for giving me an opportunity to share with you a little bit about missions and what the Lord is doing in another part of this world. I want to thank uh, Pastor Aaron for his songs that he put together, the worship songs. really ties in nicely with what I'm going to be sharing. <clears throat> we work with Ethnos 360, which is formerly known as New Tribes Mission. And um, we've been there as a family for the past 20 years. And uh, it's amazing how fast time goes by. 20 years. Uh, my first daughter... She was four when we went overseas, and now she's married, and uh, I have two more. <clears throat> I have my two daughters with me here, and um, I got Tegan, she's 19, and Casey, she's 15. And they're a big part of our ministry as well, doing ministry as a family. My oldest daughter, Shania, she uh, lives in Norfolk, Virginia, with her husband, Zach, they met uh, back in Papua New Guinea. They were high school sweethearts. They grew up together. And um, the Lord brought them together. <clears throat> and and uh, Zach is a Navy nuke up there in Norfolk. And uh, my daughter, Shania, she works for ADP in the H HR payroll and, and tax uh, service company as project management. And it's just been so wonderful to see them transition in marriage, see them transition in jobs, God's faithfulness for them. And um, yeah, just seeing them live life together as a couple. Very encouraging for us as parents. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Luke 10.2. This is where this statement comes from. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Jesus stated these words when he was sending out his disciples to go out. He was sending them out two by two. And he says, listen, he says, the harvest is great, the laborers are few. And you know, that fact hasn't changed. It's still the same today. For me as a young person, I was challenged into missions. There's four defining moments in my six months overseas trip that really impacted me. <clears throat> and caused me to continue in the role that I'm in now, working overseas. The first was, when I went over to West Papua, this is where Jason Crockett works, up in West Papua, the other half of Papua New Guinea. He went up into this bush area, it was in the 90s, 1990s, I was 18 years old, and uh, I felt like I stepped right into National Geographic. And uh, it was incredible. I just blew some circuits in my brain. I was like, whoa, there's people like this living out here? But what impacted me was <clears throat> how remote it was, but also the history behind where about 60 years earlier, a missionary, two missionary guys went in, and they opened up the interior, made first contact with the tri tribal people. And as they wanted to go in further and reach in further to the 
more remote areas, you're met by hostile tribesmen who thought, hey, these guys are spirits. We don't know who they are. They were scared of them, and they shot them and killed them with bows and arrows. Now, as I was walking along the path, I looked over, and I saw the graveyard, or the grave, the grave site where, where the, the missionaries buried. And that was one thing that impacted me, is that, you know what? The gospel is worth dying for. The gospel is worth dying for. That guy gave his life for the gospel. <clears throat> there was tribal fighting going in the area. Um, we were not aware of it when we went up into that area, but there was tribal fighting going around. Um, and it, it, uh, it made me realize that, you know what? The, gospel, the work is not completed yet. There's still work to do. Who will go? Who will complete this work? The second thing <clears throat> was... Um, when I went over and crossed over into Papua New Guinea, and I stayed at a mission compound, mission center, as I was waiting for a flight to go into a bush location. And some of the missionaries got together in a midweek and had a Bible study. And I sat there, went there, sat there, and I'm looking around at all these old people. You know, they're probably not much older than I am right now, but I, looking at them, I was looking at them going, man, they're old. They need some fresh blood here. Where's the young people? That impacted me. I was like, you know what? They need someone to replace them. They need some fresh blood. The third thing was when I flew into the, the tribal uh, location, very remote, accessed by Cessna 206. They dropped me off there, and I was there for three months with the missionary family. Um, got to see what missionaries do day in and day out, and just realized that missionaries are just ordinary people. You know, a lot of times we... We put missionaries on, on a pedestal. We put our pastor on a pedestal. We put people in ministry on a pedestal or whatnot. But you know what? I just saw and understood and experienced that, hey, they're just ordinary people. They have their good days and their bad days. An ordinary Joe like me, I could do this. And that impacted me <clears throat> to give my life towards serving the Lord overseas and tribal missions. All right, I want to just kind of open up the windows of your eyes to a little bit about Papua New Guinea as a country. Papua New Guinea is a very religious, but far from evangelized country. <clears throat> There's a lot of religions. Every flavor is there, but they're far from evangelized. They claim that they are a Christian country, but I tell you, it's not. Just like the U.S. says, hey, we're a Christian country. But are you? No. <clears throat> in Papua New Guinea, syncretism is very prevalent. And syncretism is a mixing of their animistic beliefs that they hold along with the religious held beliefs that they have. And they blend it together. And it's just this mixed mass of, of, of tangled beliefs. And it's really crippling for them. And that's what our missionaries and they go in, and they learn the language and the culture. A lot of that is, is so important, it's foundational to be able to understand what they're thinking and be able to communicate scripture and truth and to, to help them understand truth. <coughs> a common held belief in Papua New Guinea is that no one dies of a natural cause. If someone dies, it's because someone had worked poison or sorcery on them and that is why they died. And oftentimes, <clears throat> there is an accusation made towards that individual saying, claiming the glass man, saying, this person worked sorcery, worked poison. That's why 
the baby died, or that's why that man died. And often there's retribution then taken against that person. And often it's towards women, towards marginalized in the society, in the village. And um, so violence is, is a very big part of their life that they experience from day to day. <clears throat> 60% of the country's population is under the age of 25, 60%. That's what we call a youth bulge. That makes it very unique. 80% of the population lives in rural areas that are poorly serviced and difficult to access. Up on the screen there, you'll, you'll see that Papua New Guinea has 800 different languages. Yeah, I, that's not an that's not error. That's 800 different languages. Up in Canada, where I'm from, we have two, French and English. Up there, they have 800 different languages. Um, <clears throat> population of 8 million people. The unifying languages are English, and, and that's spoken in the urban areas. And then Motu and Pidgin. Pidgin is a trade language. That's what I speak when I'm doing business and I'm interacting with the people. Um, but when you go further out of those rural, or those urban areas into the rural, often the people will be talking their heart language. And I'm going to be sharing a little bit more about that in the video shortly, and you'll be able to understand a bit more fully what that means and how we do our ministry. <clears throat> urban drift is very common. We see that happening a lot, where we've got a lot of settlements and squatters in the, the urban areas. Individuals are leaving the remote areas, leaving the villages, or seeking a better life. They're looking for a future, and so they go to the big cities and towns. But due to a lack of employment, it leads to impoverishment. It leads to crime. And crime rate in Papua New Guinea is the highest in the world. Another factor that is, that is um, very, that makes a real challenge is that it has the lowest police to population ratio in the world. You're talking about 4,500 police for 8 million people. How can they deal with all the things that they have to deal with on a daily basis? And so the police lead and work with a very heavy hand. And there's a lot of conflict in that. And as it relates to Mibu, it's, it's like that as well. Oftentimes the police say, look, I'd love to come help you, but I don't have diesel for my truck. Or I don't have a way to get in. The government hasn't given us money that we could do our job. And so they have a tough job. And I have some good friends in the police force, and they, you know, they have a tough job. <clears throat> But as it relates to Mibu, uh, the situation hasn't changed. The gang is still active. They've just kind of, kind of blended into the jungle. The police have moved away from Mibu down to the coast. And, um, you know, in order to get them back up the mountain, you know, it requires a helicopter. And uh, in that location where the village are, they're scattered throughout the jungle. And so it's just very, very difficult to navigate and to, to walk those roads those paths. And so we're just praying that the Lord would, um, yeah, work a miracle. Work a miracle. And that God's name would be honored and glorified, that, that the believers be strengthened, that they would stand up strong for their faith, and that the Lord would use this in the communities around them, and that others, unbelievers, will see that, and, and that they're, they would want to know, what is it that makes you guys different? Right? And so we just trust the Lord in that. 
PNG has been referred to as mountain of gold floating on a sea of oil. I mean, the resources there are amazing. However, the country has become immeasurably poor. Corruption has eaten into the development funds and the resources of the country, and that is seen in the infrastructure, the roads, the hospitals, the schools, everything. On a positive note, the government is very supportive of us as a mission organization, other mission organizations and churches coming in and, and uh, yeah, working among the people, working in the remote areas, the remote areas where the government does not even think about or care about, that's where we're at. <clears throat> and uh, they appreciate the fact of what we provide for them, for the services we provide. Oops. Okay. There are many people groups today that are, that live separated from the love of God. And they often live in remote places. They speak unwritten languages. They fear evil spirits. They suffer poverty, disease. And these factors stand between them and the gospel of Jesus, the message, the good news. That's the reality. On that, uh, the four goals up there, that's what we as an organization are engaged in. When our missionaries go into a remote location, we're going in there to learn the language and the culture. The next two slides are little videos, and it's going to explain that to you. Um, we're engaged in church planning. We want to see a church established. We want to see believers growing their faith, maturing, and then see them take on the ministry and continue it on as we back ourselves out of that job. And then Bible translation. How important is it to have a Bible translated into your own language that you can read, that you can study, that you can feed yourself? And uh, those are the four, four goals that we're engaged in. I'd say it takes us roughly about 12 to 15 years. <coughs> we try to send in three families into a tribal location and working together to see the job accomplished, see a church established and growing. It takes about 12 to 15 years. On the map here is the map of Papua New Guinea. On there is over 44, roughly 44 names. Those are names of the different uh, active church plants that we're engaged in currently, along with itinerant church plants where the missionary has completed the work and he's working off-site or he's moved away now and the church is functioning on its own. And we just praise the Lord <clears throat> for the 44 uh, church plants that we are engaged in, and it's just exciting to see uh, what God has, has done and is doing. So I'm going to go and sit down for a moment. We're going to go to the next slide. And uh, the first video, Why Use the Heart Language? That's the title of it. Why Use the Heart Language? The second one, What Does Culture Have to Do With It? Okay, so enjoy.
All right. Was that uh, eye-opening? Yeah. yeah, that was good, wasn't it? <clears throat> All right. Well, I'd like to just share with you a little bit of how we, as a family, fit into the church planning effort. Um, the past six years, I've been functioning as a field security coordinator for our organization. And um, when I think of security, I equate that to stewardship. Stewardship of our greatest asset, which is our people, right? God has given us people, missionaries come, and um, <clears throat> to work in Papua New Guinea, the many challenges that we have in Papua New Guinea, uh, to see them, you know, function well, to minister well, to, to, uh, for longevity. And, um, and so a lot of my work is, is towards that stewardship of our greatest asset, our people, we have seven centers, uh, three of which are our main centers that support our church plan works in that location of that, country, of that part of the country. Um, <clears throat> we have another location, the fourth one, which is our mobilization for new missionaries that come to the field. They come there, they orientate and uh, get climatized and go through their, their language study, their pigeon national study before they go on to to wherever the Lord is leading them to one of the other uh, centers. And then we have a fifth and sixth, which are our smaller support centers uh, covering some of our outlying tribes um, in the far reaches of Papua New Guinea. And our seventh one is our, our, main, our small center at uh, the capital city, which interestingly has no roads connected to the rest of the country. And we have uh, a couple there that works with the government offices to keep us uh, that relationship and working with the labor department and such. And then our main headquarters where I, I live at, um, up in the highlands. But we currently have 430 plus missionaries, give or take, depending on home assignments, 430. Um, half of which, uh, those are adults and dependents, half of which work in um, our church planning locations and and the remainder, uh, they work in our support centers. We have about 12 nationalities represented on the field in our organization. <clears throat> so our support workers, what, what is a support worker? Well, like myself, field security. Uh, we have uh, aviation. How, how do we get into our remote locations? We use aviation. We use helicopters. We use uh, Kodiak uh, uh, planes. And... Um, so we got airplane pilots, mechanics, we got education, teachers for, for MKs, and we have nurses and doctors, we got tech specialists because a lot of our church plants are living off grid. Um, we have dentists, and we have individuals that have trades, IT, administration, whether it's business or finance, and um, Member care, you know, missionaries are normal. They have issues. They need help. They need care. And, um, but yeah, it takes a team to get the job done. And we praise the Lord for the team that we have. And uh, to see the church planning effort go forward there. <clears throat> as far as uh, field security, I do a lot with um, risk management, risk assessment across the country. Um, 
I do a lot of um, crisis management. You know, when we have a crisis, we, we have a, I have a team that's already formed and ready to plug in and focus on the crisis at hand so that our directors can continue on in their ministry and the organization goals of church planning. And it doesn't just slow the engine down. It just keeps things moving. And, and so, yeah, there's a lot of that. There's, for me, a lot of networking. Networking is big. Papua New Guinea is very much relationship-based. Here, it's all about the time, you know. There, it's not. It's all about relationship. And that's what I love about Papua New Guinea. And what I miss when I come back, I miss that relationship, you know. Um, but anyways, networking. Uh, in the picture up on the top, <clears throat> the lady in the black, she's the ambassador for the U.S. Embassy. And uh, I have a close connection with the U.S. Embassy, with the Australian High Commission. I'm a warden for the Eastern Highlands Province. Um, I connect with businessmen across the country. I connect with other mission organizations and um, security professionals. Security business is the fastest growing business in Papua New Guinea. And, uh, but yeah, a lot of, lot of networking. And uh, you want to make something happen? You got to know what you got to know someone, and um, that's something I enjoy doing. And uh, for for our missionaries, I tell them, you know what, your best security is the relationships that you have. Build relationships, whether you're in town, whether you're out, they'll look out for you. They care about you, and um, there's good people there. There's bad apples too, just like there's bad apples here. But there's, you know, work on relationship building. <clears throat> My wife, Larissa, she works as a candidate coach. I kind of term it as bookends. I'm the bookend. She's the bookend in the front. She's having people come in, new people coming in. She's helping them through that process of paperwork and all those loops that they have to get through in order to arrive in Papua New Guinea. I'm on the other end. I'm on the bookend here. I'm kind of keeping them in, right? But she, um, she enjoys that ministry. This last year, we had 29 church planners come in. And they got, they've gone through the orientation and training, and now they're moving out into some of our various church plants, whether existing or a new. And we just praise the Lord for that. 2022, we have a total of 22 missionaries that are coming onto the field. Wow, praise the Lord for that. You know, Matthew 9.38 says on the little sign above the whiteboard there, Matthew 9:38 says, So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. The fact is we have more missionary requests from people in these remote locations than we do missionaries. We often have to say to them when they come to our door, to our center, I'm sorry, we don't have missionaries. And... Um, The last term was quite unique. The last three years was quite unique. COVID hit, swept through. Of course, Papua New Guinea's really at the end of the earth. And we kind of caught the, the last of it while you guys were, you know, somewhat recovering. But up there we had uh, embassy, the U.S. Embassy had repatriation flights. That's the only way we could get our missionaries out as things were starting to shut down. And so we were able to send and get out a lot of our missionaries that were looking to go on a home assignment or their, their kids were graduating from high school or there were individuals that had, were high risk. We have missionaries that are high risk. 
And uh, from what we were hearing, you know, things were looking pretty dire. And, and we needed to move, you know, pretty dire for the country too. They talked about mass death, mass graves. And we're just thinking, whoa, we know what this is going to do for the country. This is going to create a lot of chaos. And there's going to be repercussions. Fortunately, none of that happened. Uh, we saw countrywide restrictions. Our crisis management team was activated and, and functioning and focused on the crisis at hand. Um, but as an organization, during that time, we were able to bring missionaries back in sometime after. And, you know, the grocery carts here representing different families that we were able to care and support as they came back into the country to quarantine for the two weeks before they could be released. <clears throat> One of the privileges Lewis and I enjoy, along with our, the other couple there with us, was just being class advisors to our junior class, our junior and senior class, which Tegan was a part of. You know, 13 different kids from six different nationalities, just inputting in their life, challenging them, encouraging them, and now, you know, seeing them off on their own. You know, they're all back in the States, across the world, some back in the UK, um, other places, and you know, they're, they're transitioning. And that's always a big transition time, big transition time. My kids, I reckon out of their, out of their 12 years on the field, you know, they maybe experienced three years in their passport country. One when they're, you know, single digit, you know, four or five kind of a thing, and then when they're 11, and then you're going back kind of like, you know, near the end of your, near the end of your, your high school years, and you're having to adjust, and you're having to function in your passport country, which is so different from, from Papua New Guinea. Anyways, the Lord is faithful and good, and uh, it's just exciting to see these individuals as they're, they're carrying on in the next step of their life. <clears throat> yeah, just this last term, thankful to the Lord for an opportunity to take a break. I spent 12 years, our first 12 years in Papua New Guinea down on the coast, down by the ocean. I love it. I love the ocean. Having come from Canada, you know, I love the ocean. And um, we were able to take a break down at the ocean and just have some good family time. Have fun. Have laughter. Enjoy friendship. You know, enjoy the simple things of life like vegetables, you know. Uh, we're just thankful for those little things. <clears throat> Yeah, more importantly, we thank God for their incredible time in Papua New Guinea this last, this last term. You know, yeah, COVID really, you know, really downed things. But really, in comparison, we had three churches born during that time. Praise the Lord for that. How wonderful was that? Three churches that, uh, that heard the gospel. We had Pei, Omdu, and Wantakia, and they're currently all focused on the good news. They're hearing the good news, and they're growing in their relationship with the Lord. God is in control, and his church is being built. The enemy has thrown all kinds of obstacles and challenges to slow the good news, but God continues to win. A couple other works, Tonguat, Konomala, Anim, Yambaitok, and Kobo. The missionaries there in those Locations are learning the culture, learning the language, building relationships, and they're getting ready to be ready to focus and begin teaching chronologically 
through God's word at some point in the future here. You know, the gospel has penetrated more language groups in the last hundred years than any previous generation. Did you know that? The gospel has penetrated more language groups in the past hundred years than any other generation. Isn't that amazing? What does that tell you? You know, time is near. God is near. You know, and you see the, the events around the world. Um, I get excited about it. I'm excited. Look what God is doing. Christ is using his church around the world and continues to fulfill his promise that his church will be built and the gates of hell will not prevail. All right. I wish I could take you to Papua New Guinea in real time, but we're going to have to go in digital time, all right? We're going to go and visit a village called Pei. Pei just heard the gospel. They have a church, and they're... <clears throat> And I'm going to let them share with you a little bit about what's going on there, a little bit about their work, and it's entitled The Story of Rose.
Well, that's one, <clears throat> one story. One story. I could share many more <clears throat> video stories of, of what God is doing in some of these, these tribal locations. How God <clears throat> is making a difference in individuals' lives. It's just be- beautiful to see. <clears throat> yeah, so it was in October. Uh, we got word that, that Dennis was stage four cancer. And uh, <clears throat> we understood that that meant he had perhaps weeks, perhaps less. And we thought, wow, we, we need to get home. We were in quarantine at the time. And <clears throat> so it actually worked out perfect. We were able to, with the last couple of days that we were in quarantine, pack up our house of our personal belongings. Some friends of ours came by and picked that up off our porch. And we were able to move everything out and have it set up for the next family coming in within days. And we were on the plane, and we came back to be with Dennis and Jeannie. And we were just grateful for that time that we had together as a family. God is good. And I just want to thank you as a church body for your care and support for Dennis and Jeannie, for welcoming them as a couple into your your family here. Um, And just sensing the love and care in practical ways. And uh, for Jeannie, you know, I'm confident that, you know, she has a great support base here. And we're so blessed. So thank you. Transitions are always a challenge. You know, on the mission field, people come and people go. And this was us going again. See you later, we say. We don't like to say goodbye. And one day we'll see you again. And, um, but yeah, it was... Uh, we, Lord willing, we look to return in, in 2023 and uh, pick up where we left off. Yeah, so we took that trip home, 52 hours. It's getting longer now because of the restrictions and such. It's long enough, but 52 hours was uh, pretty painful. But it was great to be reunited with our family. There's my three daughters there and being able to connect with them and, and being close to Virginia. We've been able to spend Thanksgiving together, and, and that's, we're, we're thankful for that. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight, all right? To walk by faith means to make faith part of our everyday activity. Trusting him, depending him, depending on him, yielding to him. It's a journey. I don't have it figured out. I'm growing and learning in it as I grow older. And... Um, But yes, God desires to work in and through us as children. And the posture that he desires from me, what he desires from you is, Lord, here I am. Use me. You know, one day, we will not have to walk by faith. But we will see the glory and the presence of God by sight. And I look forward to that day. That's what Dennis is enjoying today. And uh, he's enjoying that with the Simbari believers that have passed on and gone before him. His, his language helper back in the 60s, who came to know the Lord, early 70s, I think it was. You know, he's there with Levich, enjoying a good time, enjoying the presence of the Lord. I'm going to ask Tegan to come up, and she's going to read uh, Romans 5, 1 to 11, and I'll just share a few comments on that.
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we recognize in hope of the glory of God, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we are still weak, at the right time, Christ died for, ungo- for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though, perhaps, for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we are if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Um, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have more received reconciliation. Thank you. <clears throat> what a difference God makes. I love that. 11 verses. The difference that God makes in our life as believers. What an encouragement God's word is. In Romans 5, 6, we are utterly helpless. But by verse 11, we are saved by the life of his son. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? We rejoice because we are declared right with God. And as his children, we can rejoice in the wonderful new relationship that we have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all about relationships, horizontally and pointing those relationships vertically to God our Savior. The last slide here is what's next for the coal lines. And as Pastor Conrad mentioned, we head out on the 13th. You know, if it's the Lord's will, we pray that we'll have negative COVID tests. You know, if not, that's okay. God is still good. And we'll roll with it. Um, <clears throat> a couple other praises here. You know, the Lord's provided a house for us to rent for this next year. Uh, interestingly, usually when we rent a house, God's always provided a furnished home. This time, it wasn't furnished. And we just think to ourselves, how are we going to take care of this? How are we going to do this? And a friend of ours, um, do I, you know, I, I know the parents more than I know the daughter, but she's like, she just emailed us and says, hey, I want to help you with this. I'm going to go and furnish your home. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> um, the Lord provides in unique and unexpected ways. I could tell you many stories in the past 20 years. The Lord provided a minivan for us um, when we get up to Canada. And uh, we praise the Lord for that. The guy called me up and says, you know what, I got a van. It's got bald tires. It runs great. But I wanted to buy a truck, so if you want, you could have it for a buck. He says, thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, and then the Lord's provided a job for me with a company that I've worked with previously on home assignments. It just helps to supplement our income, so I'm um, thankful to the Lord for that. And uh, 
And that, on home assignments, we usually connect with our, our support base, our partners in the ministry, and so we do that on the weekends and, and, uh, and such. So we're looking forward to that, to be able to connect again and um, interact with others. Uh, primary focus, too, is also seeing our daughter Tegan transition into being settled and as we leave her when we go back in 2023. And um, Tegan has a job opportunity at a daycare, so she'll be doing an interview when she gets back. And so we're, you know, thankful to the Lord for that. The economy is pretty tough right now. And uh, we're just trusting God that he'll provide a job for her. And then Casey, as she continues in her homeschooling, this was something that she was looking forward to, was going to the school and doing regular school. But for other reasons, that's too long to, to discuss right now. But she was unable to do that, so she's going to be doing homeschooling. But the Lord's just, you know, giving her a good attitude. And we thank the Lord for that and, and, um, and for the opportunity that she has to homeschool. And uh, anyways, just want to thank you for your um, encouragement to us and welcoming us as we came here to care for Dennis and, and now for Jeannie. And, uh, yeah, thank you once again. Amen. You blessed by that? Amen. It's always good to hear that. Uh, we're going to close in a word of prayer here in just a moment. Um, I, I want to mention this while they're here. They've been here and been a huge blessing to Miss Jeannie, and, but they're going to be leaving on the 13th, as you saw. And so as a church, we need to be very mindful of that and that uh, this is when we, we, we've been able to stand back because family's been there, the, the home is there, they've got lots of friends and support there, but we want to be a huge part of that going forward in supporting Jeannie and being there for her. So just keep that in mind, you know, and, uh, and be an encouragement to her. All right, uh, let's close with a word of prayer, all right? Father, thank you so much for our time together. And I thank you for this family. Uh, Lord, uh, forgive me for butchering their names. Um, the Coline family, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, bless them, meet every need. May this time uh, away from Papua New Guinea be a profitable time for them as they will strengthen relationships, as they'll develop new relationships. They'll seek, uh, Lord, additional support. I pray you'll provide every need. I pray, God, that you'll just uh, give them whatever it is that, that you want to do in them this year in preparation for their time when they go back. Lord, I just pray it'll be a profitable, profitable time for them, for their family, for their walk with you, and for the kingdom. God, just use them. Continue to bless and use them. What a, an important role Joseph has there. He, he and Larissa both, their roles are so important in the work. They're, while they may not be the ones actually planting the church, so much of that plant, church planting work could not go on without the support and these that are supporting them, protecting them, and providing and meeting those needs. So, Lord, thank you for their ministry. I pray that you'll just continue to bless them and meet every need according to your perfect will. Lord, tonight I, I want to lift up a couple of requests that, that were mentioned. And I, I pray for Angela, and Lord, and I thank you for uh, what she did on Sunday. Lord, wanting to bring those children and dedicate them to you. I pray for the hand of God to be upon her, to give her wisdom, to give her strength. I pray for your hand, Lord, to be upon that home, to bring peace. I pray it be upon each of those, those children, that God, what, whatever it is that you need to do in their hearts and their lives, Lord, would, would be done. 
And I pray that, God, they would respond to the love of God in their hearts, in their lives, and they would, Lord, uh, just be drawn to you. I pray, God, they would submit themselves to you and, uh, and, and come to that faith, place of true saving faith if they haven't already. Lord, so you know the need right there, and I pray you'll meet it according to your will. And I do pray for Stephen Harrelson tonight, Lord, as he goes in for this procedure tomorrow. Lord, I ask that you be with him. And he, he has had such a long, long road, and he has such a great attitude through it, Lord. I'm encouraged by him, and I ask, Lord, that you would just be with him. And uh, may this be a very, very successful procedure tomorrow. And I pray, God, that it would resolve the issue with the drainage there with, uh, with the liver and all of that system, Lord, that, that it, would just, it would accomplish what needs to be accomplished. God, would you guide the hands of those doctors? We thank you for them, but, Lord, you're the great physician. I pray you'll guide their hands, their thoughts, give them wisdom beyond their education, beyond their experience. And uh, Lord, just, uh, just do a great work and we'll praise you and thank you for it all. Lord, I pray you'll dismiss us into your care now and watch over us through the rest of this week. I, I pray that you'll bring us back together. We, we look for a great turnout Sunday as we have our plow service. And I pray you'll bless in that service and Lord, just do what needs to be done in each of our hearts. May we come expecting to hear from you. We love you, we praise you, we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you, I hope you have a great rest.